I have often wanted to drown my troubles, but I can't get my wife to go swimming. Jimmy Carter. Hey, everybody, welcome, welcome indeed. It is another episode of Felonious Pundits. Hi, I'm Kintad Svensgaard, and with me as always, please say hello to our good friend, Mr. A.J. Mass. Why, hello, 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 and let me say, Jimmy Carter was joking. It was a joke. (laughs) (laughs) It is important to make that point across. A.J., I almost decided in honor of today's uh, episode to wear my Viking costume, which is the one and only costume I have. So I, it comes out quite frequently, but uh, I chose not to because I didn't want to be a distraction. Well, I mean, if you're going to wear that one costume, I think we might be able to target you a lot more easily when searching for you. <laughs> as you go That's out. true. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Anyway, folks, this uh, podcast is about the TV show Criminal Minds. Uh, each week we recap and take an in-depth look at an episode of the show. I have never seen the show before, so this is a first-watch perspective you're getting from me. And AJ, we like to call a grizzled veteran of the Criminal Mind show. He's seen all all the episodes, so uh, he's going to be bringing you that perspective. So, AJ, this week, oh my gosh, we are talking about Season 1, Episode 20 of Criminal Minds. It was entitled... Charm and Harm, and it originally aired on April 19, 2006. It was directed by Felix Acala and written by the dashing duo of Deborah J. Fisher and Erica Messer. Yes, indeed. It it was uh, an episode of Criminal Minds. Ah, yes. So let's get straight into the recap. Uh, This week, we open on a glass of wine being poured, close-up shot of it, and we hear a man extolling the virtues of scotch going good with a porterhouse steak. We get a close-up of that steak, and then close-up on his mouth taking a bite. And then we hear him show some concern for his dinner companion not having their appetite back. Um, They're definitely going to need their strength. And then we cut to a close-up of a bound and gagged woman clearly in distress. Uh, We cut back immediately to the steak, which I admit does look delicious. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I I had not had dinner yet. And I was just like, oh, man, why you got to do this to me, criminal mind? (laughs) Uh, Exactly. We get uh, another shot of the woman. She's wearing a hotel-style robe. She's looking scared for her life. Things aren't looking good for her. Then we cut to the BAU office where we find Elle. And she feels Morgan staring her down. So she like turns around and is like, what? And he says, she's only been there an hour and she's already made two phone calls. And she hates the phone. She denies that, but Reed confirms it. And then he starts going into, you know, his fun phone invention facts about Alexander Graham Bell and Eli Gray. Elle cuts him off. She's a little snappy. She's like, yeah, we know. Bell beat Gray to the patent office by a few hours. Common knowledge, duh. 
(laughs) (laughs) And uh, Morgan wants to know why she's acting all weird. And she says, hey, we're sitting next to a guy who knows there's 800 kernels of corn on the average cob. To which Reed helpfully adds, separated over 16 rows. (laughs) And you're calling her weird? Yeah, AJ, again, wine, steak, corn. This episode was making me want some dinner right at, right around this time. And since you know <laughs> that the telephone exists as an invention, why don't you pick it up and order some food from your local eatery? <laughs> Support local businesses. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Morgan thinks she must be getting some loving. And so he teases, starts teasing Elle about having a boyfriend. And L protests, I doth think a little bit too much. But uh, she protests and she just calls Morgan weak. JJ walks by to gather gather them up and Morgan teases her a bit more. And then they all head over to the round table room. I mean, you know, it's always, I think, uh, fun and also very scary when they start having these lighthearted conversations because it means something ugly is coming up in the next scene and they're just trying to make you uh you know it's like a little sorbet it's like okay get your palate ready because you're not gonna like this next sequence of events here (laughs) i also think it's a little weird that morgan's like you've made two phone calls like uh, maybe five okay then you need to say something yeah (laughs) yeah that that was like kind of nothing seemed outlandish about that and not for nothing morgan i mean how do you know she's got a boyfriend Maybe she's got a girlfriend. I mean, you know, come on. Think mm-hmm. a little outside the box. You don't know. You don't know. JJ introduces our case of the week. Apparently, the FBI in Tampa has been investigating a series of murders over the past couple of months along Florida's central Gulf Coast. She shows them a picture of our unsub, quote unquote, and says they had a strong lead and DNA evidence. Uh, all four girls apparently were murdered by this man. Mr. Mark Gregory, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Gregory. (laughs) Come on down. (laughs) (laughs) Since he's not an unsub, Reed wants to know why they're calling BAU in. And JJ says, well, this guy got away before they could arrest him. Hotch wants to know how long he's been missing. It's been about 36 hours and he has another victim, a Nicole Wegner, with him. The other victims were all taken within a 60-mile radius. They were all tortured and drowned in hotel bathtubs. AJ, that's what we call the signature. Yes, indeed. <laughs> the signature of the, uh, I guess we'll call him the sub this episode. Yeah. <laughs> There's no on about it. Yes, he is, no, he is the sub. <laughs> uh, all of these uh, victims were found a couple of days after they were reported missing. Uh, Morgan notes that he's staying in the same geographical area and he's killing in hotels instead of privately controlled environments. And L points out that he is paying for his privacy at these hotels. Reed immediately hopes he's not going to Orlando because, you know, it's second only to Vegas in terms of number of hotel rooms. And Hotch says he thinks knowing who he is helps, but they're a long way from knowing where he is. Yeah, good one, Hodge. Knowing who he is helps. <laughs> <laughs> That's one less thing they have to figure out. Um, so Morgan says the unsub, he's sussed out. He knows that they know who he is. So at this point, he has two choices. He can hide or he can run. And Hodge says, well, if this guy feels like he has nothing to lose, Gideon finishes the sentence for him. 
He's got the whole country in front of him. And then we get a close-up on a map of like the southeastern United States to to indicate, yes, he has the whole country in front of him. <laughs> we'll leave the light on for you. <laughs> <laughs> There's a uh, another glance at Mark Gregory's photo and then credits. Criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds. It's criminal minds. I enjoy that every week. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get it every week. <laughs> as well as bow jet. <laughs> yes. We cut to the bow jet stock footage and we get Gideon's voiceover for our opening quote. The French philosopher, thank you for that, Voltaire wrote, there are some that only employ words for the purpose of disguising their thoughts. Mm, we're going to be learning about disguises. Although I don't think Voltaire actually wrote that. He probably wrote something like, il y a quelqu'un de choses. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to be pedantic about this. <laughs> <laughs> so JJ hands them the packets of the week of uh, all the info they have on Mark Gregory Single white male, 38 years old, graduated from FSU, started a real estate company with a partner five years ago. He frequently travels for work, and he just bought a lavish home last year in Sarasota. Um, before he got into real estate, he raced cars. He worked as a chef at a French restaurant. As Elle says, he's a jack of all trades, AJ. That means he's master of none. Oh my gosh, it's not... Mark Gregory, it's Aziz Ansari. <laughs> yes. But Alan Yang doesn't write for Mark Gregory. No. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I might edit that out. That was a horrible joke. Anyway. <laughs> uh, also, Hodge points out this guy's also worked as a staff photographer for a couple of magazines. And then he transitioned to working with models in Miami. Reed points out that so many serial killers make a hobby of photography has to do probably with the act of voyeurism. Yes, but not uh, not stalkers necessarily, because if you think it's just the photographer uh, that's the stalker, you're going to be wrong, and you're not going to notice that it's the actual uh, best friend of the model that you are <laughs> sleeping with, or at least want to. Flashback a few episodes ago. You <laughs> <laughs> should they always make these bold statements. They're like, well, as you know, like, well, yeah, but you didn't say that a couple of weeks ago. Right. That didn't apply when dot, dot, dot. Yeah. So Gregory's accounts and credit cards were all seized uh, as soon as he disappeared. And then Gideon reminds them that they're on the jet. And this is the part of the show where they discuss the victims. Damn it. <laughs> victims. <laughs> Basically. So, of course, let's continue the conversation. But cutting to uh, headquarters in Sarasota. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's not. It's actually not a real headquarters. It's a. It's a temporary FBI office, and it looks like it's in a really dumpy, shabby building, like uh, in a not too nice neighborhood. In other words, this is episode twenty of season one, and the budget has run out for new sex. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we cut to that office, and Hotch is telling them that Gregory used different forms of torture for each victim, and drowning was the only constant. Reed says they were all wet drownings, which means the victims were alive when they were submerged. It's quite a painful way to go. JJ wonders why he would take all that time since they were barely alive anyway after the torture. And Hodge says, well, the drowning is a form of torture, too. It's all part of the signature. Uh, the local FBI comes in to uh, 
introduce himself. He's SSA Raymond McCarthy. He apologizes for the temporary setup. Doesn't go into the show's budget. That would have been <laughs> handy, but he uh, he they wanted them to get closer to where Gregory lives, which again I thought was in some fabulous mansion. And again, this looked to be in a dumpy neighborhood. But what he didn't whatever. say he was going to go in where Gregory lives. Just nearby. <laughs> yes. I mean, not so close that he could see him. <laughs> so we moved in next door. <laughs> I've been his wacky neighbor for three weeks now. <laughs> So he has them continue their discussion. And Morgan is like, if we look into his childhood, maybe we can find out what it is he wants to purge. And McCarthy wonders if that's perhaps the best use of their time. He admits that they're itching to catch this guy because he got away under their watch. Hotch explains that if they could figure out why he does what he does by studying his childhood and the further they go back, says Gideon, the further further ahead of him they might get okay you know basically it's the interesting thing about this particular episode is going to be the fact that we don't have to waste uh 40 minutes of the episode figuring out the who we're going to say what what happens if we have the who and we can just focus on from that point forward we know who it is how do we catch him Uh, i think that's uh what makes this at least somewhat interesting of of an episode because you know, for me, most of the fun is trying to figure out who done it and seeing how they figure out the who. But what happens if you already know the who? Is the episode over in five minutes? Obviously, we know it's not. But should it be? Well, let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> now, Morgan wants to know if they were able to connect all four victims. And McCarthy tells them that Gregory had a previous relationship with the first victim and the second and third victims were business deal acquaintances. And he worked with the fourth victim at a restaurant, but uh, they have not found a connection with the current missing woman. Gregory is big news in Florida and McCarthy wants to know when they hold the press conference to alert the rest of the country. JJ says, hey, step on the brakes for a minute. This is my department. We'll we'll handle that if we need to. But right now, uh, we're going to try to find him first, basically. Uh, Gideon splits the team up to cover more ground. Reed and Gideon are going to go to Gregory's house. Ellen Hotch will go talk to his old business partner. Uh, JJ will stay at the office, and she looks at, to look into the evidence that they have there. And Morgan will liaise with Garcia. <laughs> Gee, <laughs> wonder how that is. What a shocker. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Gideon says, let's meet back in a couple of hours, because if Gregory is keeping to a pattern, they have less than 12 hours to find Nicole Wegner alive. Now we cut to Ellen Hotch interviewing the business partner, one Mr. Bloomberg. They tell him they're looking into Gregory's behavior right before the killing started. And... Anything that he thinks of that, even if he thinks it's not that important, it might be helpful. Bloomberg is like, are you sure you have the right person? They let him know (laughs) that him taking off and running. (laughs) Yeah, it's just funny. It's like, you know, and if there's anything that you could think of that might be helpful, anything at all. It's like, I don't think anything could be helpful because I don't think you have the right guy. (laughs) And yeah, they point out that maybe him taking off and running doesn't exactly help his case. Bloomberg has known this guy, has known uh, Mark for 10 years. He never noticed any odd behavior. Uh, He was the consummate ladies man. 
He was married once in his 20s, but Bloomberg didn't know her. That was before um, they met. He did say that he would never get married again. And Bloomberg is like, what, do you guys think he did something to his ex? Elle explains that they're looking for a stressor. What made him lose it? And they have to look at all of the possibilities. They let uh, Bloomberg know if they have any more questions, they'll contact him. And Hotch tells Elle he thinks that Gregory's been killing longer than they think, long before he actually disappeared. Yeah, I mean, okay, you know, that seems plausible because we've seen in the past that when we get the multiple victims at the top of the episode usually they see some sort of progression like you know you don't just jump into being a serial killer you test test it out and maybe uh, test the waters as it were i know bad pun but it came to me uh (laughs) yeah so obviously if the signature is so highly defined at this point then sure you look back we've established this this is good you know, let's let's mm-hmm. let's keep going. We, we we know again. We know who done it. Mm-hmm. Let's look back. Let's look back, AJ. Uh, <laughs> so now we cut to Gregory's lavish house where Reed and Gideon are checking things out. It's a large house, hardly any furniture in it. Typical bachelor pad. Gideon notices some dog food bowls and wonders where the dogs are. Reed checks out the closet and finds a large number of suits, suits for every occasion, leisure suits, business suits, all kinds of suits. He also finds a mechanic's uniform. Then he finds a bunch of watches and wallets, 20 different pairs of shoes, and enough driver's licenses to basically start his own DMV, they say. Gideon tells Reed to get those uh, licenses to Garcia He heads into Gregory's office and puts on some rubber gloves to continue searching around. He says this guy travels around the country making deals, probably reinvents himself for each deal, playing a different role, dressing up to impress a rich investor and maybe dressing down to for a poor farmer. This guy is a chameleon. He's adaptable to any situation. Reed says, from the outside, the house seems clean and shiny, but it's all for show, a facade to hide what's really going on. Gideon opens her drawer, finds a bunch of uniform catalogs for things like construction, law enforcement, janitorial, military uniforms. He asks Reed what he thinks he needs those for. And Reed says it's probably for this and shows him some uh, like a little sketchbook uh, filled with drawings of our guy with different types of facial hair and different looks. The point is this guy likes to disguise himself. Yeah, which is possibly an explanation why they haven't been able to find him. Uh, You know, the other possibility is, well, uh, they didn't catch him after the fourth victim, and now he's in a hotel room with the fifth victim eating steak. So, you know, it's not exactly (laughs) uh, running around the city looking uh, for, for targets. So that might be the reason you just haven't found him. He's indoors. Yes. So next we cut to a victim's point of view shot of a shirtless Gregory and he's drowning someone. He's deriving some obvious pleasure from it. But there's a knock at the door and it's room service. He puts on a robe, opens the door to let room service in to pick up the cart from last night's dinner. The room service guy sees that one plate still has steak on it. So he asks if everything is okay. Gregory says he loved his steak, but, you know, his wife wasn't feeling well. 
He's hoping a hot bath will help her out and yells out, honey, how is everything in there? And then he laughs and says, I guess that means she's pretty good, right? <laughs> Either that or dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He tips the uh, room service guy, lets him leave. And we cut to a shot of poor Nicole Wegner uh, drowned in the tub. Yeah, I mean, we don't usually see the actual, like... Uh unsub doing the killing and then just just chilling afterwards with with random fast service spy so it it, it it does speak to the uh true sociopathy of our particular excuse me sub again not an unsub <laughs> yes <a> sub yeah <laughs> but, uh, yeah he's he's cool collected and uh was able to pull off uh you know he just finished killing her he's like yeah hey here's here's a tip for you oh great yeah no everything's cool and no suspect no, no nothing suspected by the uh room service guy yep we next cut to garcia talking on the phone with morgan she's letting him know that mark gregory was a bad seed he was caught peeking in windows as a kid. Uh, when he was 18, he was basically busted for statutory rape. His marriage that he had only lasted 23 days. But the good news is his ex is still alive. However, Garcia can't find her. She says, makes a little crack about it. It's easier to find the dead ones uh, than the alive <laughs> ones. Well, maybe she's she, she's she's in her house eating steak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God. Did I mention this week's episode brought to you by steak? It's what's for dinner. <laughs> um, while Garcia is saying all this, I did notice for some reason she's clicking like this red pin that lights up each time you click it. There was there was no reason really other than to just distract me. I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I just thought it yeah. was interesting. <laughs> I, I'm going to say, you know, just. Part of the reason that this episode is just is unusual is, like I said, the fact that they're not really investigating the same sort of things that you normally investigate. Um, and strangely, the whole episode it starts with the scene and it really picks up. It, Garcia's tone is just wrong <laughs> for the fact that they're like trying to track a serial killer who has a victim <laughs> with him, and sh she's all light and sunshine. And, and yes, yeah, she's normally bubbly, but she. she She's kind of undermining the seriousness of what's going on here. Uh, it gets worse later, but it's like she's cracking jokes and everything. Da, 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 da. And yeah, there's a time yeah. for that. And it's, you know, it's one thing if it's Morgan and they're doing that a little shtick as she's working. But it's like, oh, well, can't find anything. Loo -dee -doo -dee -doo -dee -doo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're right. Uh, it, it does devolve a little bit more later, which we'll get to. <laughs> But anyway, Morgan says it's good that the uh, ex-wife is still alive. They'll want to talk to her and maybe she'll know about some of his deviant behavior. It's a good thing she got out alive, basically. We cut to the FBI command center <laughs> and the, uh, the team is giving their profile notes just to get through it as quick as possible. They found evidence that this guy acclimates to his surroundings. They find they found his disguises he's emptied all his bank accounts he's got a ton of money he's put his dogs in a kennel it indicates he's left the area and he is not coming back since he's on the run this classifies him as a spree killer hey a new term a spree killer spree <laughs> not to be confused with uh, the sour candies but this is spree <laughs> yes and let's enumerate it aj 
This killer goes through two phases, two phases. They are known as the guided phase and the random phase. The guided phase means the killer stays in his own particular area or comfort zone uh, until he eventually breaks down. But that's why he killed the first four women in a 60-mile radius. And they're actually hoping that he's still there uh, because in this guided phase, there's usually a final destination in mind. They bring up Edward Kemper and Andrew Cunanan. Uh, and say that, like those two, they saved their most meaningful kills for last. They should find out who that would be for Mark Gregory. And when the random phase begins, then the kills start to happen without design. There's less time in between them. The killer's lost control, and he's devolved, and he's going to take more victims and become less noticeable, which in Gregory's case would mean he would torture less and spend more time on the thing that gives him his pleasure, which is the drowning. That's why they want to find him in the first, the guided phase in his comfort zone, because after that, there's no telling where he's going to be. Uh, it'll be random. So JJ is going to get his face out to all the networks. It'll be all over the country by dinner time. Hotch gets a call. And they just found the missing girl's body, not close by, but in Georgia. Morgan's like, come on, L, looks like we're going to Georgia. And then we go to a break. Yeah, you know, it's uh, interesting, again, that Morgan, uh, we're going to, you know, can Hotch tell you where to go? Like, isn't there a hierarchy here? <laughs> I mean, I know, I know the conceit is they all know what their jobs are, but it just seems a bit odd. That, oh, come on, L, I'm going to go with you. <laughs> Yeah, everybody just kind of announces what they're doing. Gideon tries to <laughs> lay it down, but they just kind of, until like Gideon does have those moments where he's like, I'm taking charge now. But uh, yeah, you're right. That was kind of weird. Anyway, we come back. Hotch is telling us Morgan and Elle just landed in Georgia and they'll be at the hotel in about 20 minutes. McCarthy says, so Florida is not his only comfort zone. And Hotch says, well, he's set up businesses across the southern U.S. So McCarthy says they'll put out warnings along I-95 and I-10 in case he decides to travel along the Gulf Coast. Hotch says now that he's crossed state lines, it's a nationwide search. He's probably going to alter his route and drive along quieter roads. Uh, Reed is reading the files and says, uh, well, he went to high school in four different states. Gideon says, so he moved around a lot. Let's go talk to his father, find out why. Reed says, maybe he's revisiting the places that made him feel comfortable. The latest hotel records indicate that he's checked in using his own name. McCarthy asks if that means he's taunting them, but Hotch says, no, taunting would imply some sort of game, and this is most definitely not that. He's made it very clear he has no intention of going back to his life as it was this is a one-way trip. <laughs> There's no point in him covering his tracks now. That's only going to slow him down. If he wanted to be caught, he would stop running. So it's not likely because he's got 400 grand in cash. And Reed says, well, yeah, with that money, he could charter a plane and fly anywhere or fly anywhere he wants to. But Gideon says, he's not hiding, he's hunting. Ah, Hotch says, plus the driving works for him. It's anonymous. He can cover a lot of territory that way. So they decide they should notify the border patrols because he could decide to leave the country. 
And Gideon says to warn them that most of the spree kills end with suicide by cop. And that could be how he plans on getting out of this particular mess. Yeah, it just seems to me that they're just talking in circles, though, at this point. It, you know, they spent a really good amount of time explaining that, you know, he's either a guided phase or random phase. And the guided phase is good. That's where we want him in the, in the guided phase, because that means he's got an end game and he's going to stick to areas that he's familiar with. And, you know, now they're saying like, oh, well, but he's also familiar with this area. So that's good. That means he's still in the guided phase, but they're acting as if he's he's definitely in the random phase and they got to catch him quickly before it goes crazy. And it's like, well, which is it? <laughs> you, you just told yeah. me if, as long as he's in familiar areas, then we're cool. And you, you said, ah, this is familiar area to him. So we're cool, right? No, no, he's not. This could be the end game. <laughs> like, it, 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 it's very, very confusing. Yeah, agreed. We cut to the hotel room in Atlanta, Georgia, Morgan and Elle have arrived. They're going to check things out. Morgan remarks on how the fancy, how fancy the hotel room is. And Elle is like, oh, yeah, great guy. Anyway, uh, he <laughs> spent a lot of time with Nicole Wegner. He picked her up in Tampa. He drove her to Georgia. But unlike all the other victims, he didn't have any relationship with her. So he had to lure her in somehow. They then find a business card for Mark Gregory, photographer. So they surmise that he must have preyed on this woman's vanity, offered her a modeling career or something like that. And he would seem legit. He actually does have like the business card portfolio, all that stuff a photographer would have. So she felt like she could trust him. And that's how they could check into like a five-star hotel pretty much unnoticed. Um, now, it's just be a bit of time before he finds his next victim. Yeah, the fact that this is a, a posh hotel does make it seem a little bit more like, you know, it's like, hey, why don't you come to my studio? That might not work. But like, hey, we'll check into this the, the, the plaza and, you know, do this whole big photo shoot. And I know the guy there. Like, you know, and you pulls out the wad of cash. Okay, it seems legit. Certainly more so than just, uh, hey, uh, you want to see my etchings? <laughs> right. <laughs> We etchings. <laughs> oh boy. So we cut to another victim. Since we mentioned another victim, we usually cut right to another victim, and we do indeed. And uh, we see a blonde woman in an airport parking lot stopping at the back of her car to put in her, her bags in the trunk. And we see Mark Gregory stop and notice her. He's dressed in a pilot's uniform. But he hears other people approaching, so he walks away from this lucky woman who probably doesn't know how close she was to something bad. Yeah, not until she sees the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, wait, this isn't one of them, them documentaries. My bad. <laughs> uh, we cut to Garcia. She's called Hot. She's called Hotch, and uh, they awkwardly get through some repartee. And long story short... She's found Gregory's first wife in Florida. She settled down in Bradenton. Hotch says we'll pick her up. And then we now cut to them interviewing her. She's saying she's in shock, which Hotch says is understandable. But what she's actually shocked at is that they were able to find her because she's paid a lot of money to have her past erased. Which, which you know, uh, uh, at least I will say, uh, good on good on Garcia then for finding her, and it doesn't make her seem inept that she couldn't find this woman. Right. It's like, there's a reason that if Garcia can't find you, there must be a reason, and that's because there were safeguards up, and she had to actually, you know, work a little bit harder. All right. As opposed to clickety-clickety-click, she's in Bradenton. 
Yeah, it took her maybe 40 minutes instead of <laughs> clickety-clack. Right, exactly. <laughs> so his ex-wife knew something was wrong with him. That's why they were only married for three weeks. Hotch asks if she was in hiding because she was afraid he'd come after her. She says he stalked her for a few years after they had an annulment. She had to disappear if she wanted to survive. Life with him was terrible. He was controlling. He didn't trust her. He insisted she was cheating on him with everyone, with anyone, and he wouldn't let her leave the house. Hotch thanks her for helping out because... If he dated his first victim and she cheated on him, maybe that was the stressor that actually set him off. So that's what they found out from the ex-wife. Absolutely. I still don't know exactly how finding the stressor at this point is really going to help him find him. But okay, you know, we'll go with it. We cut to Gideon and Reed. They're talking to Gregory's father. Uh, It's a that guy, Robert Pine, who I believe is Chris Pine's father. For the younger folks who probably know Chris Pine, uh, I certainly remember him. (laughs) (laughs) Right? But I certainly remember him, and I'm sure you do as well, AJ, as one of the uh, cops from the show, TV show Chips. I remember him as like one of the lead guys in that show. Absolutely. Not Ponch or John, but he was like their sergeant or whatever you call the equivalent in the Uh, California Highway Patrol. I would call it a sergeant, but yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, this is Robert Pine. He's Mr. Gregory, and he doesn't think his son is responsible for this. Wait, he doesn't think Chris Pine is responsible for this? <laughs> <laughs> that is right. He doesn't think it's Chris Pine. How, how could Chris Pine? <laughs> no, he doesn't think his son Mark Gregory uh. is responsible for this. <laughs> Reed explains, well, Mark is a narcissist with a split personality. And Gideon says, and he's mastered the art of manipulation. He only lets you see his good side. Mr. Gregory's like, well, this is a nightmare. Gideon asks him to sit down. He mentions he moved moved around a lot when Mark was growing up. And Mr. Gregory says, well, Mark never complained. He was always good at making friends. He fit in wherever they went. Yeah, well, that, that's fine. But he's a chameleon, so like he could fit in everywhere. Yes. Like, yes, we just told you that. <laughs> Gideon says, we know that he went to Georgia. Do you know any place else he'd go, any place else he'd love to visit, or any kind of place that he would call home? Mr. Gregory says, well, we've lived here the longest, so he would call Florida home. Gideon looks around, and he notices that There are several family photos up, but it's just Mr. Gregory and his son. He remarks that Mark's mother isn't in any of these shots. And Mr. Gregory says, well, she died in a car accident. Uh, Mark was 10 at the time. Reed says, typically when a child loses his mother, he sees her as a victim, which theoretically would mean he'd want to protect women. And he'd be more likely to lash out against his father, blaming men for needing punishment. But Mark didn't seem to do that. Gideon says, because you and Mark were close. And Mr. Gregory is like, yes. (laughs) Gideon Gideon asks if there's any reason that he would have blamed his mother for her death. Like maybe when she was drinking and driving, did she fall asleep at the will? Mr. Gregory says, there's nothing like that. Reed says, maybe he felt she abandoned him. 
And Gideon says the loss of a female could explain why he was a peeping Tom in adolescence. And Mr. Gregory is like, are you telling me that young boys aren't curious? <laughs> Which Gideon says, yeah, sure, but not all of them start peeking into windows. And uh, what about that statutory rape charge? Mr. Gregory says Mark had just turned 18. His girlfriend was 15. They were kids, for God's sakes. It, it was her parents. They pressed charges. And Gideon asks him if he, if Mark has ever had to take responsibility for anything. Mr. Gregory asks if he's saying that being a protective parent has turned his son into a giller, killer. A giller killer. <laughs> Uh, and Gideon says, no, I'm saying you're making a lot of excuses and I'm not sure that it did Mark any favors. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Like, you know, if you're going to not let your kids get in trouble for things that they do, uh, certainly you want to support your kid and you want to defend them and prevent them from being railroaded by the system and all that stuff. But, you know, if you're going to actually clean their room for them <laughs> instead of saying, hey, clean your room. Uh, no, I'm not going to clean my room. Clean your room. No, I'm not going to clean your room. I'll clean your room for you. Uh, never mind. Never mind. That, again, that's the not doing any favors part of it. You know, Gideon's just very twitchels in this scene. He's just very like, you know, you know, you said he noticed the pictures. Boy, he like visibly is like darting his eyes. Look at the pictures. Look at the pictures. Like, we noticed Gideon noticed the pictures. It's just because he, he was just so over yes. the top acting with his eyes. Uh, again, uh, we, we get it. That's his thing. But it just it, the whole the whole scene just plays odd. I don't know. It, you know, Gideon's like, you know, rah, rah. <laughs> he's a, he's a bit aggressive from the get go with uh, Mr. Mr. Gregory. I agree. Anyway, next we cut to an anonymous motel room. We see Mark Gregory and he's standing over an unconscious woman. He's uh, holding her hair petting it maybe a little bit, telling her she's going to be okay. Then he picks her up and puts her on the bed and pours some water on her face to wake her up. She starts to stir, but she's obviously out of it. Uh, he picks her up, takes her to the bathroom, and we zoom in on the pilot hat hanging on the bedpost, and we hear the sound of water being run into a bathtub. Yeah, I mean, not only is she unconscious, but she's got a tie around her neck, so it's clear that he's been like choking her out to the point of near death and then reviving her with the water. So yeah, this is the torture is continuing here, which at least for us lets us know that he has not changed his uh, MO at all. He's taken his sweet old time, which again means that he's still in the phase where he's comfortable. It's the guided phase and he's got an end game in mind. He just hasn't reached it yet. We cut back to the office. Hotch, Reed, and Gideon and McCarthy are going over things. We find out that the first victim wasn't unfaithful, but she had a husband that she was trying to keep it a secret. Um, to me, that's still being unfaithful. Just she, she wasn't being unfaithful to him in particular, but well, it's she, still it, being unfaithful. It, it, they weren't in a relationship, <laughs> and then she cheated on him. She had pre-existedly, by definition, de facto, cheated on her husband. Uh, yeah, so agreed. It wasn't yeah. exactly as, as you uh, explained, but it's pretty much what you explained. <laughs> yes. Anyway, he must have found out about that and something from his past, again, must have triggered this extreme reaction that he had to it. 
Something about his parents' relationship may have scared him during childhood. And Garcia, who I wasn't aware was there, but she chimes in on the computer. She's found Mark Gregory's car at the Atlanta International Airport. They say that there's, you know, thousands of possible victims there. Garcia already started the work before she even called, I think, on a facial recognition scan. And she's able to quickly provide the tape of him walking away from that blonde woman in the parking lot. He's looking for an easier target, clearly. Yeah, it, this is this is this is where the show gets a little convenient here. That she's like, oh no, no, I've been working on it for a little bit of time now. So when it pops up immediately, you don't think it's that simple. But really, <laughs> it's it's Garcia doing clickety clickety clack. <laughs> Again, he's dressed up as a pilot. They see that Gideon says, Who doesn't trust a man in uniform? And I'm like, Gideon, meet Black Lives Matter. <laughs> Just, just saying. I know that this was a different time. It was a just different saying. time, and it's a different uniform. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no one's saying defund. Anyway. No saying defund the pilots. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, they see Gregory does find a woman that he helps to put her bag o- bags away in her car, and she clearly gives agrees to give him a ride. Which is indeed, as Gideon says, a fatal mistake. We hope not. We hope not. We, <laughs> we hope not. Yes. We cut to a JJ press conference. They're showing the video of him dressed as a pilot. She warns of his disguises that he may wear uniforms of authority to gain trust. Uh, they mention the photography ruse that he's used before. They have no way of knowing where he'll strike next, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. As she's giving out all this info, we see Gregory trying a new tack, putting on a more of a a blue collar outfit and starting to make it look like he has some kind of physical ailment. He's drooping the side of his face and he's he's walking off with a pronounced limp. He's Kaiser so saying it. He's turning into Kaiser so (laughs) say. That is, well, that just killed one of my notes in a minute, but that's okay. (laughs) We think along the same, uh, the same, uh, lines although i referenced verbal kent but yeah well same thing one and same the thing. same six spoilers yes. <laughs> movie's almost 30 years old now folks <laughs> Deal with it. oh my god uh, oh, that made me have to sit back for a moment Anyway, we cut back to the FBI office. Reed is staring at a glass of water. Hotch is reviewing the case. Gregory is continuing to drown. Why does he have to do this? Reed says, we know that people who murder by drowning are trying to invoke fear. I I don't quite understand his next line, which is, if water symbolizes emotion that says they're overwhelmed by their unresolved issues or by facing some sort of major life crisis... It suggests a release of the old is necessary to re- emerge and begin anew. I mean, I understand it, but it just seemed like a lot of words to say that. We don't We don't need the scene. We, we honestly don't need the scene. Again, we know who the killer is. We know what he's doing. Yes, the why in, in the sense of if, it, if it's what was the actual original event that caused him to start killing because... We know he's the type of killer who's going to go back to that place. We can go to that place and and catch him there when he ultimately gets there. We know that's the end point. That works. Uh, but this, 
we need to know why. No, you don't need to know why. <laughs> they're, you know, they're now they're talking the the you know the metaphysical, the what's going on in his brain, and the, that, that that's not going to help you solve this case. It's 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 the other things that you are already working towards. So this scene is completely unnecessary, but we're trying to fill sixty minutes. You know, <laughs> exactly. We cut to Ellen Morgan there in the car. She's giving him a hard time about being a slob and. Morgan's like, okay, we've been on the road together way too long. How long? <laughs> Her phone Wait, rings. How long? I want to. I want to comment on this. How long have they been on the road together? <laughs> Look, first of all, you said they landed in Atlanta earlier, which means they took the jet to Atlanta. They got in the car, drove to the crime scene, and now they've driven somewhere else. I mean, we were we're on this tight what three hour time limit, <laughs> and he's got fifty six. <laughs> burger wrappers and soda everywhere and what's clearly a rental <laughs> yeah. car because they just flew to Atlanta. It's not like it's his car. So where did all this food come from? What the heck is going on here? This makes zero sense. <laughs> you know, I just sort of glossed over that. I didn't even think about that, but you're completely right. He had like all sorts of wrappers over that car. Yeah, like, like, yeah, it's one thing if like, you know, he throws his wrapper on the floor and she's like, slob much? You know, then you, then you get on. I'm like, that's all you need to trigger the same conversation. But it's like, Really? <laughs> We've, I've been living in this car with you in for weeks, of- L. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and you're right. In the middle of this tight schedule, they had time to stop and get uh, some kind of lunch. Uh, well, they got to uh, eat. And- <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the got to eat. They, 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 they yeah. went through a drive through sure. But like, they're making it sound like, uh, you know, this is the fourth night of the steakhouse. And I still see the soda can that you had from the first night in the back here. And this candy wrapper. <laughs> and that, have you showered in the past? <laughs> It's been three hours, four tops. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so anyway, the phone rings, Elle, and then Morgan's like, oh, that must be your boyfriend. And Elle's like, yes, it is. Hello, Gideon. Ha, ha, ha. She takes down some information and she lets Morgan know they found the woman taken from the Atlanta airport. In South Carolina, Morgan feels like they're just driving from body to body. Uh, South Carolina is apparently part of this guy's business route. So it's still the comfort zone. He's still going back to things he knows at this point. And and again, if they flew into Atlanta, then why are they not going to then go back to the airport and fly from Atlanta to South Carolina instead of driving, which is what they're intimating that they're about to do. And if they are going to do that, then why didn't they just drive to Atlanta in the first place, which would then make the car thing make more sense. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) Yep. We cut back to Reed at the office. He's going over the crime scene photos, maps, notes, the big board, so to speak. Gideon asks him if he sees something and Reed says, well, no, I don't see anything. But I was thinking about the info they released on Gregory at the press conference. Um, They talked about how he was engaging and confident and that how he poses as authority. He's also smart and he's resourceful. So he may change it up after hearing that. He might not use the same or a simple ruse anymore. He may completely alter his appearance i.e. verbal kenting it up. Uh, Hotch says, if he does that, then we really don't have any idea what we're looking for. Except we already knew he liked to change his appearance because we found his house was filled with all different types of stuff and he had the uh, the little etch-a-sketch plastic flip 
book of of uh you know guess who where he could change his appearance so why are we surprised that he would change appearance you already said this is a chameleon who changes appearance like, i don't i don't get this scene at all we next cut to a motel in south carolina and met Mel and organ? <laughs> well, hello. <laughs> uh, nothing like a podcast to remind you of how you actually can't talk. Um, Elle and Morgan arrive to check out the latest crime scene. This uh, motel is a dump. Elle doesn't know why he isn't checking into his usual nicer place. They know he has the cash. Morgan figures maybe now he's moved into the random phase of his kills. Must have something to do with how he views his victims, like maybe they're dirty or not worthy. The motel manager is brought in. They show her Gregory's picture. She's like, yeah, that kind of looks like him. He paid her in cash, left about three hours ago, which she can confirm because it was when her stories were on. (laughs) (laughs) My stories. (laughs) L says, given that the lividity, again, Dr. L, given the lividity, um, he probably died sometime right before that. The manager says that he drove off in a black SUV, which was the victim's car. But the manager does confirm that it uh, definitely had South Carolina license plates, not Georgia plates. So that means he's switching his plates. They asked the manager to go get those numbers. They find the pilot's uniform. So again, he likes disguises. Again, he doesn't care about ditching them. (laughs) They note the body, and there was an extreme level of torture, even though he spent technically the least amount of time torturing uh, her. He still shocked her enough to turn her feet black. They point out nobody could take that kind of torture, not without being resuscitated, which must have happened because she was still alive when she drowned, so... He must have been, as we saw, he was. He must have been torturing her, resuscitating her, torturing her, resuscitating her, and then finally drowning her. And, and again, I, I don't, it, it's just, it's confused because Morgan says, ah, well, this location means he must be entering the random phase, which, you know, you already had Hotch and Gideon telling us before he'd already entered the random phase, which means that. It's just inconsistent. They're not They're not all on the same page here. And they said when the random phase happened that, you know, all bets are out the window in terms of victim and, and method. And yet he is kind of using the same method here. He's just, he's just doing it quicker. So I would say he's accelerating. But, he, you know, he yes. had the, the South Carolina plates ready to go. So this is, again, still planned. It's still a comfort zone thing. So, I, you know, I don't necessarily think that this guy fits into either of the boxes that they're trying to stick him in. And it's a little more unclear than that. And again, we know who he is. <laughs> I think that's important to point out. Yes. <laughs> because otherwise we'd have like 15 minutes like, are we sure this is the same unsub? You know, like that, that kind of stuff, you know. Right. Then we get another Garcia scene. She calls Hotch, who immediately tells her he's putting her on speaker. And she's saying he completely sucks. <laughs> and this is, of course, on speaker. <laughs> Yeah, I see what you mean about her this episode. It's kind of... It's uncalled for. We just found another victim. A little inappropriate. Yeah, we just found another victim. We're like, everyone's stressed out. You suck. (laughs) (laughs) 
Anyway, her main purpose for calling is she has the information that Mark Gregory suffered a fractured vertebrae when he was 10. Apparently, he was in the same car crash as his mother. Gideon says, well, we need to go talk to Robert Pine again, find out what else he's been keeping from us. We then cut to Gregory, Mark Gregory, in a supermarket parking lot, giving, yep, that good old verbal Kent impersonation as he appears to be struggling with his grocery bags, trying to get them to a car. A young blonde woman offers to help him out. He's like, no, I'm good. But then he drops his bags. <laughs> he drops his bags. We see Kobayashi on the, printed on the bottom of the bag. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, uh, she offers to help him get to the car. Uh, they cut away, but we know it's probably not good news for this no, this girl. It's, it's, she's going to end up in a barbershop shop quartet in Skokie with uh, <laughs> with Redfoot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So we cut back to Gideon and Reed with uh, Gregory's father. Gideon is looking very impatient from the very start of this scene. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's looking at some pictures and Mr. Gregory is saying, I know you guys didn't just come here to look at pictures of my son. Did something happen? Gideon asks why there's no memories of his wife displayed. Mr. Gregory is like, why would I remind my son of the most horrible thing that happened to him? Reed says, well, normally when a parent dies, the other parent overcompensates, builds a shrine of pictures, leaves their personal items untouched, sometimes for years. He didn't do that. Gideon wants to know why he didn't tell them his son was in the car accident. And Mr. Gregory scoffs and says he didn't think it was that important. And Gideon is just, he is perturbed. He's like, you didn't think it was important? You didn't think it was important to tell us your son witnessed his mother dying. And Reed says, witnessing her dying clearly affected how much, how he regards women. And Gideon wants to know if he knows why his son was married for such a short time. Mr. Gregory is all, oh, he was, he was young. It was a mistake, yada, yada. Gideon says, look, we talked to his wife, his ex-wife. Mark was obsessed, thinking she was unfaithful. Mr. Gregory says, well, that can happen. And Gideon says, yeah, but she never was. But he still made life unbearable for her. She couldn't leave the house. She couldn't take a breath without worrying about it. Reed says, something must have happened to feed that distrust, to give him such a distorted view of how relationships work. And Gideon wonders how things were with Mr. Gregory's wife. And he's like, oh, normal and completely uneventful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure. Gideon calls him on this, which is clearly BS. But uh, he asks if she was unfaithful. Did she pick men up? Did Mark catch her in the act? At first, Mr. Gregory starts to deny it. But then like, he's like, okay, okay, look, when she couldn't find a babysitter, she would take Mark with her to the motel. She would let him play by the pool. This went on for over a year. What kind of mother would do that? Gideon asks, well, did he ever take him to therapy? Mr. Gregory didn't think he needed it. Gideon is incredulous. <laughs> you don't think he needed it? You don't think he needed it? He watches his mother die? She lives, she dies? That's not confusing for a 10-year-old? Reed says... Mark was old enough to know exactly what his mom was doing. It explains all of his issues with infidelity. It explains his hatred towards women, why he would now torture and drown them. His first victim was married. She was having an affair with him, which clearly reminded him of what his mother did to, to you. 
And Gideon asks if he thinks his his wife's death was actually an accident. Mr. Gregory says only that he doesn't know. And Gideon's like, well, what do you know? What the hell do you know? (laughs) Uh, Mr. Gregory is like, okay, okay. I had my suspicions. And Gideon is getting apoplectic. He's like, your your son did what you thought about doing hundreds of times. These are innocent women, Mr. Gregory. Did it ever occur to you that your son might be trying to stand up for you in his own sick and demented way because you weren't there? Mr. Gregory just is stammering at this. I, I, I. Gideon's like, help us, Mr. Gregory, before he kills again and again and again. Help us, Mr. Gregory, help us. But Gregory has nothing to say. So Gideon uh, eventually dips out. But Reed does catch up to him and says, you know that Doug Gregory is not the killer, right? Gideon's like, yes, but he's protected one. And now at least six women are dead because of it. Indeed. I just... uh... This is just not a well-written scene at all, and it's just confusing. And although, you know, I think even just listening to you recap it, it's like I'm still like, okay, so (laughs) what are we supposed to glean from this? Like, we know that the wife was cheating on on Mr. Gregory uh, and going to motels and just having a little Mark play by the pool. But the way the, the light is delivered and the way it comes off, it's like, yeah, you know, she was she went to work at her shift at the motel, and you just like have him hang out by the pool. You know, that's that's how he delivers it. And they, no one ever says your wife was cheating on you. It's like, I, oh, you know, you weren't there, and I had suspicions and the good thing, but that the she was cheating. She was a cheater. She was a cheating cheater who cheats. It just, just why do they not come out and say it here? It makes no sense because we all know that that's what happened. AJ, we. We've both taken some improv over the course of our life. And one thing I always remember in those lessons is just do the thing. Just get to the thing. Just do the thing. And they're not doing the thing or saying the thing in this case. Yes. In my old improv troupe, we called that 30 seconds Ezekiel. (laughs) Which it came from this scene where one of the people on stage, their name was Ezekiel. And... The entire scene was just basically on, you know, Ezekiel, uh, will you please open the door and find out who's who's knocking on the door? And he hemmed and hawed and hemmed and hawed. I'm like, what's going on, Ezekiel? Who is it, Ezekiel? Uh, well, I get to hem and haw, hem and haw. And uh, this was a judged competition, and one of the judges had, had a, a honk, uh, you know, uh, they could honk the horn, and the scene would end, and they get zero points. And so Ezekiel's like, ahem, ahem, ahem. And from the audience, the judge goes, 30 seconds, Ezekiel. <laughs> uh, that's perfect. Yeah, so it's like, just, just do the thing. Uh, In other words, do the thing already. We cut to a motel parking lot, and uh, I would say, at this point, I finally believe Gregory is in the, the random phase well, yeah, at this particular point. <laughs> uh, because he's, like... Clearly out in the open in this motel parking lot. This is not being done in private in a room. He's dragging the girl over to the pool. He flies into the water with her. He starts trying to drown her right then and there. There is a motel clerk there, of course, who notices this. He comes over to them and and starts off, you know, oh, you can't be in the pool with your clothes on. (laughs) And Gregory starts immediately turning on his act, though. He's still able to, like, figure out what to do in a situation like this. He starts acting like she's his wife. She fell in. She can't swim. Please help us. 
the clerk is like, okay, okay, I know CPR, I can help. He helps pull her out and tells him to go call 911. He's able to revive her. We do see uh, she does start waking her up and starts kind of screaming. And and then the motel's clerk is like, hey, it's okay. Your husband will be right back. (laughs) I'm sure that's not what she wants to hear. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm actually surprised she didn't think that the guy, the clerk was the guy who kidnapped her at that point. You know, just you would think that she might like just, ah! started screaming and kicking and screaming, you know. But no, she she at least recognizes that she's been rescued. Yeah. We go back to the FBI office. Hotch is asking Garcia if she's found any other suspicious drownings over the last couple of days. Uh, and she's like, you have any idea how many drownings there are each day? And it turns out Hotch does know the numbers. And Garcia wonders uh, if she's talking to Reed, which Hotch takes that means that she's impressed and she's like, yeah, you've been doing your research. But as she's looking at her screen, she does come up with a suspicious drowning she thinks is pretty creepy. We cut to then Hotch telling the group Garcia found a lead in Tennessee. Allison Glennon was snatched from a grocery store a couple of hours ago, survived an attempted drowning in a motel pool. And McCarthy is like, motel pool? Doesn't sound like our guy. (laughs) And Hotch says, yeah, except for she's identified Gregory as her attacker. You might want to lead with <laughs> Let's that. Let's start off yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah. Not, uh, not Garcia found a grounding in Tennessee. Uh, Mark Gregory was caught <laughs> drowning. Was found drowning. Right. Yeah, someone identified Mark Gregory as drowning someone in Tennessee. Oh, Lordy. So Garcia is going to write, is right then giving uh, Ellen Morgan the details. And Gideon says they've talked with the father they need to get everybody on the phone. So everybody gets on the line. And Gideon says, they think that Mark Gregory probably killed his own mother. He was old enough to know what he was doing. He was protecting his weak, passive aggressive father who wanted his wife dead. He saw, you know, she was his mother. So he saw her as a, as a saint, but he knew she was cheating. So he saw her as a sinner. There's a good chance that this means he caused the car crash. And they figure the father probably knew that his son was a murderer. That's why he's so overprotective of him. They need to go over all the evidence of the car crash. So Garcia says she's on it. Hotch says, fast, we got a killer on the run. And he's grabbing victims as he sees them. Which means, of course, we cut to another parking lot, uh, which seems to be the favorite location now (laughs) for him to pick women up. Uh, Gregory is there. We see this woman walking towards her car as she gets into the SUV. This time there's no pretense. He just opens the door, gets in, grabs her, and she's in trouble. Uh, and and as he's grabbed her, he's creepily smelling her hair, I noticed. Yeah, it's uh, this, you know, this is consistent now. Now we're kind of like getting into this consistent mode of, of other previous episodes. We're like, okay, the killer uh, starts devolving. Cool. We got you. So we got cut back to the scene of the attempted drowning at the motel. The clerk is explaining to Morgan and L when he got to the pool, the guy was supposed to call for help, but he just disappeared. Um, he had seen that they press him on it. He has seen the news, but this guy was different. He had glasses and a limp and the news didn't say anything about that. So why shouldn't he trust this guy? Basically. Morgan says, yeah, this guy's in a hurry, but he's still not looking to get caught. Elle says that must be because he's not done killing yet. 
so back at the office, Hotch is looking at a picture of Mrs. Gregory's car after the accident. You can see the water dripping from under the car. Reed says it doesn't really look like it was a fatal car accident because the passenger side is where all the damage was. They decide to ask Garcia what the official cause of Mrs. Gregory's death was. I would think it would be obvious at this point, but okay. <laughs> they got to confirm it. Uh, well, just <laughs> hold, hold that thought. <laughs> <laughs> McCarthy comes in to announce that the latest abduction, it was one Kelly Dalton, age 28. Eyewitnesses saw her leaving the parking lot with a man who resembled Gregory. She was supposed to then pick up her son, but she never made it. We cut to Ellen Morgan. Hotch has just told them about the new victim. So they've got to get to the mall. The motel clerk gives them the directions to the mall, says it'll take about 10 minutes. Elle says it was better when this guy had a ruse. At least, you know, that required some kind of planning. Yeah, and, these, and again, these scenes are just like, it's like, uh, okay, could we just, we could chop, 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 chop. Like, we, we don't need to go back and, <laughs> ah, well, to get to the mall, it's going to be about 10 minutes. You take the I-4 and you go to the... <laughs> Take three lights down. This isn't make the Californians. Like, <laughs> just, just say, hey, he's on his and way we, to the mall. Okay, <laughs> we we can we can assume that they'll figure out how to get to the mall. <laughs> and then you take the one hundred and one. Um, <laughs> take the five. Now mind uh, you, Johnny, anyway, who used, we, used to work there, he don't work there no more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> If you see the Taco Bell, you've gone too far. Um, now, there's a guy. The guy works so, there. He has a limp. Kind of reminds me of the guy who was trying to turn his wife. <laughs> so we do cut to the SUV. And Gregory is listening to the various news reports on the radio, clicking between them. Uh, and they're describing everything about them. You know, the exact direction they're heading, the type of car they're in. Kelly Dalton is like, hey, do you want money? My husband's rich. He'll pay you a lot to get me back. Uh, so she's trying everything she can, basically, in the if you, in the book of if you get kidnapped. Try and humanize yourself. <laughs> try, and, yeah, try and say your yes. name. Make yourself a person. Yeah. No, she's doing everything right. You just Sometimes the psycho is yeah. just not going to respond. Exactly. Uh, Hotch is talking to Garcia. He's saying he's got a victim in a car. All he needs now is the location. Garcia says there's five sources of water nearby. The closest to the accident is Rock Creek Inn. And Reed finishes her sentence, Copper Hill, Tennessee. That's where Kelly Dalton was abducted. Morgan and Elle are there right now. Garcia also lets them know Mrs. Gregory died by drowning. No discernible damage keeping her trapped in the car. The only way this could happen have happened was that Mark Gregory perhaps kept her head down under and held it under whatever water was in the car. So his first kill was his most powerful. They know now he's going back to where it all started. Yeah, and like you said, didn't we figure this out several scenes ago? Did, like, <laughs> did, didn't we? Like, oh, you, he was avenging you. He was avenging you, and his mother died. And like, oh, he was in the accident. Like when you found out he was in the car, you know, and that was being kept from them. And oh, look at his injuries and everything. And like. It took you like what? How long to figure out that? Oh wait, he he drowned her because he drowns people. Yeah, the car was found in water. Even that would have been enough for me to think there's a connection there. Like it, uh, they're just a little slow this week. 
a little slow. And, <laughs> and you know, the fact that like, hey, hey, uh, hey, Hodge, it's me, Morgan. I'm, I'm here uh, in Copper Hill, Tennessee, where Darcia found that case. You know, Copper Hill, Tennessee, the same city as the accident that he was already looking into and should already have known about. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is just very sloppy. Just... Yeah, just do the thing. Jeez. 30 seconds to do the Kelly Dalton pleads with Gregory. She says she has two boys that need her. He tells her to shut up. Morgan and Elle are near the creek already. They're going to, they parked near the accident. They're going to go check out the scene. Gregory starts losing it. He's telling Kelly he's seen her every week with that man. She's like, uh, I've never met you before. He screams at her to shut up. She's a liar. He tells her all of a sudden to make a turn where they're at. So she turns the car off the side, off the road. Elle is busy telling Gideon that he's not there at the accident site. And we cut back to Kelly in the car. And she decides she's going to take things into her own hand. She takes another quick turn, sudden quick turn. And they go down an embankment and crash. The crash is heard by Ellen Morgan, so they're clearly, like, right there. And so they're there with some cops also. Yeah, those cops just appeared out of nowhere, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, that was convenient. I I, I guess they were there the whole time just waiting. But, they never, but you know, establishing thought, shot. Just something like, that. hey, we're going to pull over the side yeah. of the road here one second to look around. Get out, look around. All we see is Morgan and Elle. All we see is Morgan and Elle. Uh, you hear that, too? Like, wait, too? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who yeah. So they all take off in the direction of the of the crash. Kelly is all right. She gets out of the car and starts running. Gregory is a little bit injured, but it seems, but he he is able to get out of the car and take off after her. He eventually catches up to her and starts to hit her, starts to drag her toward the water. She starts screaming out for somebody to help her. And he's like, oh, nobody's around. Nobody's going to hear you. But um, <laughs> OK, well, dude, but he doesn't necessarily know that there was someone. Else he doesn't know. Yeah. He doesn't know. I know. I, I, yeah. I just thought it was kind of <laughs> weird but anyway. But uh, they go. They hear her screaming, obviously. So they start running in that direction. Gregory manages to get Kelly under the water. He starts attempting to drown her. Somehow there's a rusty pipe like right there by her hand, luckily, um, under the water. So she's able to grab it and gives a swing at him. She's able to get up, but she's not successful. He's able to actually get the drop on her and he's able to grab the pipe. Yeah. Now, mind you, when Elle and Morgan reach the car and they find that the there's nobody in the vehicle at that moment... Take a second to pick up the phone and call Hotch and Gideon back at headquarters and say, we got to the car. They're not here, but we're going to keep looking around in the woods. I was like, yeah, why? Why would you do that? Why would you take the time to make this phone call? Just, you you can call, yeah. like, oh, my gosh, we heard the crash. We know this hasn't happened too long from now. She's obviously still in danger. Hang on. Yeah. Hi, Hotch. We're going to, yeah, we're going to keep going yeah. and pursuing them in the woods. Okay. I'll, yeah. I'll call you back as soon as we find her. Like, go. Why did you make this? Why did yeah. you stop here? And they even cut to Hatcha Gideon taking the call. It's like, what is going on? You are completely correct. Oh, man. Uh, this episode has, this is a bad has episode. Has some issues. This is a bad episode. <laughs> <laughs> 
Kelly is screaming, but now he's got the pipe. Gregory's got the pipe and he's about to swing it at her. But now Morgan and the others have finally caught up. They yell at him to drop it. He decides not to drop it and goes to try to swing it at at uh, Kelly. And they shoot him. I wasn't clear on who shot him, if it was Morgan or if it was one of the other cops. I believe but, it was Morgan. Uh, suffice it to say, okay, suffice it to say he's shot. Elle is able to grab Kelly. She starts to comfort her. Morgan and a cop pull Gregory out of the river. And then we cut to a bit later and the ambulance is there. And now Morgan is calling the team to let them know what's going on. Hey, Kelly Dalton is okay. Mark Gregory is dead. This would have been the appropriate time for the first call. Yeah. <laughs> you don't stop, <laughs> you don't stop in pursuit of, of an unsub <laughs> who, has, who has a hostage who he's gonna, you know he's going to kill. Hang on a second. Yeah, okay, we are in the middle of a pursuit. Like, it's one thing if you're calling for backup as you're running on a walkie-talkie or something like that, but they yeah. actually stopped at the car. Yeah. But anyway, yes, Kelly Dalton is okay. Mark Gregory's dead. Morgan and Elle are coming home. We then cut to a shot of Mr. Gregory. He's looking sad and dejected. And Gideon gives us what turns out to be our end quote. The author, Francois de la Rochefoucauld, wrote, We are so accustomed to disguise ourselves to others that in the end, we became disguised to ourselves. B.A.U. Jet heads home in the air. Episode over. Episode over. I mean, not only that, but like, you know, Morgan and Al had to drive all the way back from Tennessee to Sarasota where the jet is. Oh, man. Rough. I think that's why they didn't actually show them all on the jet because they probably did make a second stop and everything. <laughs> Tell you what, we're going to fly, pick you up and then come back home from there. You know, yeah. two stops. Uh, uh, this was kind of a hard episode for me to get through. I did. Uh, wasn't my favorite of the season. No, I mean, it look, look at it this way. This is this. I think this is a buried episode. This is, hey, you know what? We've got a really good episode in New York, and then we got a really good episode in L.A., and then we went to Mexico, and even that was kind of fun. Uh we got two episodes left after this. Can we put can we put this one here? Then close strong. <laughs> the, the placement of this episode seems very much like uh, we've we've really only got like twenty episodes written. We need to write one real quick. And... <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, AJ, let's do our usual after episode shenanigans. Let's first ask ourselves the question about the BAU team. Check our barometer. And decide if the team won this week or not. What do you got? Yeah, well, first of all, they did not say the title of the episode this week. So after several yes. weeks in a row where we did indeed say the title, uh, no title this week. Uh, so uh, the streak is over. Uh, it was a good run there with seven episodes in a row. And uh, we'll, we'll take the hit there. That's fine. Hopefully we'll get back on the track next week. Uh, coming in, we were 12 wins, two losses, five draws and i gotta say considering that they knew who the suspect was from the get-go in this one uh now and that's I'm, i can't blame the bau for that because the other fbi unit is the one that let him get away so it's really uh did they catch this guy before he did too much more damage he had a huge head start 
I'm just going to call this one a draw. I mean, I can't say they, they were great in it. We had a couple of more victims. Uh, there, if not for the luck of having a clerk nearby, we would have had an extra victim. Uh, she took matters into her own hand or else they probably wouldn't have even caught him in time. Uh, yeah. Uh, tie. tie. Not, 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 not their best work. Yeah. I might, I might say tie is generous, but I, I will go with it. And uh, again, yeah, not their fault. A lot of it, you know, this wasn't yeah. the case they took from the beginning. They were already well behind the eight ball. So the fact that they did catch him fairly quickly, given, given that I, I, I will, Cut them some slack. Fair enough. AJ, we also like to, at the end of an episode, do a little bit of a quiz. Let's uh, let's talk about the quiz. You host a great podcast called Beat My Guest. Yes, indeed. Uh, which is kind of a, a trivia podcast. Yeah, check that out if you want to hear an episode with uh, you, Kintad Svensgaard, in the hot seat. Uh, that will have dropped by the time you hear this one, so you can go back and check that one out. Uh, let us do this quiz first question sir uh as we said uh robert pine on this show uh most known probably for his role on chips as sergeant joe gatrayer did you know that i haven't seen chip i forgot it i i'm sure i would have knew it at the time but yeah. <laughs> it's been a long sure. time uh you know he was there for the entirety of the show's run along with uh you know ponch and john as you as you pointed out mm -hmm. uh there were several other uh characters on the show though who are on the police force uh, with uh, ponch and john who had nicknames uh i'm going to give you four choices three of these are actual cop nicknames who were on the in the unit with Ponch and John, and one I have made up. Can you find the outlier here? We have Bear. We have Nuke. We have Grossy. And we have Hot Dog. Bear, Nuke, Grossy, and Hot Dog. Indeed. I used to be a fan of the show Chips. This was in 1970. <laughs> <laughs> something and i was 10 or, or thereabouts <laughs> even maybe a little younger i don't i don't remember the exact years that it ran so i don't specifically remember uh i'm just gonna go for the one that some of them sound a couple a little familiar to me hot dog sounds familiar to me so watch that be the one that it's not and bear sounds familiar to me but i could be thinking of another show at the time bj and the bear but Bear still sounds familiar to me. So I'm putting it between Grossy and Nuke. And uh, I'm going to say Nuke is the incorrect, the false nickname from Chips. Nuke is indeed the false nickname from Chips. Well done. <laughs> yes. Ding, 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 ding. You got that one correct. <laughs> Let's keep the ball rolling here with question number two. Again, these questions... Uh, Influenced by, uh, inspired by the episode that we have just seen. Uh, okay. This was called Charm and Harm. So let's talk about my favorite charms, Lucky Charms. Uh, as we all know, <laughs> the original marshmallows in Lucky Charms were pink hearts, yellow moons, orange stars, and green clovers. Can you name for me three out of the other four current shapes of marshmallows? Don't worry about the colors, but uh, hearts, moons, stars, and clovers are still in a pack. 
What are three out of the other four current official shapes of marshmallows in the regular box of Lucky Charms? Well, I wasn't aware they changed. They didn't so change so much as, as might... added new ones. So there were four, okay. and now there are eight. I'm going to go with, I believe I remember hearing blue diamonds, but I may be thinking of almonds, but I'm still going to go with diamonds. I'm going to go with a snowflake shape, and I'm going to go with uh, a, a a spade, like a card on spades. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. You you were <laughs> 0, for, 0 for 3 there. <laughs> Oh, God. Now, in fairness, uh, when we were kids, they did add blue diamonds to the mix. However, however, oh, okay. they then, they then in, 80, in like the mid-80s, they discontinued it. <laughs> and now <laughs> blue, the moons are blue now, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the four new and official uh, shapes are horseshoes, unicorns, rainbows, and a hot air balloon. <laughs> air balloon like the first three i'm with okay lucky charms makes sense well the hot air balloon they all have magical powers (laughs) uh you can go to the official website and check it out but yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) hey that ain't my lucky charms (laughs) heck no what's this blue moon stuff and yellow moons (laughs) that is right that is uh, Mm -mm -mm. all right all right well one out of two. Let's go to the last question and my favorite one of each week. It is question three where I ask you, what is the plot of the next episode that we will do here on Felonious Pundits? This will be next week's Criminal Mind Season 1, Episode 21, the penultimate episode of Season 1, entitled Secrets and Lies. Secrets and Lies. Here are your four options. Is it A, blackmail? Someone has been keeping tabs on Morgan and knows about an incident from his past that could blow up his career. Is it B, L's boyfriend is finally revealed and his secret past raises some eyebrows at the BAU? Is it C, the CIA has a mole problem, so they call in Gideon? to see if he can catch the culprit. Or is it D? When a family gets murdered, the lone survivor's birth records prove that they're actually a previously unknown half-sibling of Reed. Ooh. Intrigue. All right. I think I've already fallen for the, oh, we mentioned a plot point sort of randomly in the episode and then that becomes the focus of next week so of course that could mean that's exactly why you pulled it out but i'm going to eliminate the uh the l's boyfriend one from contention i'm going to eliminate uh morgan being blackmailed for anything he's too cool Uh, that leaves me with, well, okay, you know what? I'm just going to say it's the sort of least ridiculous sounding one, the one where the CIA asks Gideon to uh, help them uncover them all. All right. You think the CIA and the BAU are going to play well together in the sandbox. And, uh, well, 
the plot when a family dies and the lone survivor's birth records prove that they're actually uh, related to somebody else. That's actually the movie Secrets and Lies by Mike Lee, <laughs> starring Brenda Blethyn <laughs> and Miriam Jean Baptiste. So, uh, just that was a good movie. Now that you yeah, bring it up, just a little bit. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> well, you can't be my daughter. You're bleh, bleh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yes, you are correct. The CIA has a mole problem. We're going to be on mole patrol. It's an episode where Gideon gets the call from another department to try and suss out what's going on. We'll be covering that next week on Felonious Pundits. Well done, two out of three. Good job. Nice. Good week for me. (laughs) All right, folks. You know what? That was real fun. Uh, I'm excited. We're getting close to the end of the season here. I can't believe it. Uh, we've had some ups. We've had some downs. I can't wait. We got two more weeks to go. So uh, please do join us next time. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you had a great time. And of course, as I always say, please be sure to subscribe to rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Feel free to spread the word. Let your friends know about us. Please, for God's sake, somebody write to us <laughs> <It's> <laughs> at, so at feloniouspundants at gmail.com. <laughs> just one email. I'm not pleading. I don't. You know what? You don't have to. Folks. You don't have to. I'm mail. just saying it's there. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, you can follow us on our Twitter. Uh, you can search Polonius Pundits or follow us at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass, this is Kintad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. Fine clothes may disguise, but silly words will disclose a fool. Aesop. <laughs>